This is the recap, a review of the day's news in the Tri-States area for Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. With Tri-States Public Radio News, I'm Mike Murray. A woman charged with murder in Fulton County remains in jail. 42-year-old Kelly Bradbury is accused of killing 72-year-old Donald Danner, who was found dead in his home in August. At a pretrial conference last week, the case was continued to march on a defense motion. The judge also reviewed detention for Bradbury and determined she will remain in custody. The state of Illinois is partnering with Google to streamline access to children's behavioral health services. Illinois Public Radio's Alex Degman reports. A new online portal called Beacon will put mental health services offered through DCFS, the State Board of Education, and other agencies into one centralized location. The idea is to make the process less stressful for families and caregivers who are already stressed. State Representative Lindsay LaPointe, a former youth and family counselor, says the current system is overwhelming to navigate. It takes an average of 11 years from when a young person starts to show signs of needing mental health support and struggling till they actually get connected with that support. Nothing about that 11-year gap is acceptable. The portal is part of a larger plan introduced nearly a year ago called the Children's Behavioral Health Transformation Initiative. I'm Alex Degman. An Illinois nonprofit is getting $160 million from the National Science Foundation to study new, more efficient ways to remove forever chemicals from tap water. Current, a water innovation incubator, focuses largely on removing harmful substances like PFAS from the water supply. Governor J.B. Pritzker says this grant will also help expand wastewater mining to look for beneficial minerals such as lithium. This initiative will help enable domestic production of batteries and fertilizers, almost all of which are currently imported. So this engine isn't just addressing water quality and security issues as important as those are. It's strengthening our supply chain. Pritzker says current plans to launch dozens of new water tech companies over the next couple of years, creating hundreds of jobs. The city of Fort Madison is looking for input on a new playground at Riverside Park. The city is working with an architect on the project to initiate the design and planning phase and help create a vision for the future of riverfront activities. The public is invited to complete a survey. It's available on the city's website and Facebook page. QR codes will also be posted in local restaurants and businesses. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds' plan for improving K-12 reading scores passed a House subcommittee. Iowa Public Radio's Grant Gerlach reports Reynolds is making a push to base literacy instruction in Iowa on research known as the science of reading. The bill requires schools to inform parents when their kids are below grade level in third grade reading. Holding a student back would be up to the parents, but schools would have to at least make a reading plan for every student who needs to catch up. Department of Education Director Mackenzie Snow told lawmakers on a House subcommittee that Iowa needs to make changes to improve both federal and state reading scores. Our NAEP scores in fourth grade reading show about 33% of fourth graders are reaching grade level proficiency, and then our ISASP scores, or state summative assessment scores, show that about 73% of fourth graders are proficient in ELA. There was pushback on a requirement for many new and existing teachers to pass an exam on reading instruction in order to graduate or keep their teaching license. The next step for the bill is the House Education Committee. I'm Grant Gerlach, IPR News.
A bill in the Iowa House would call on the state's top education official to lead a comprehensive review of state standards for K-12 schools. The bill says the director of the Department of Education should report back with a plan to return to the basics of reading, writing, arithmetic, and U.S. history. It also calls for eliminating social-emotional learning and critical race theory, although critical race theory does not exist in school standards. In our feature for today, to meet the country's climate goals, the United States must transition away from energy and industry sectors that produce a lot of carbon dioxide. Lawmakers have supported projects to do that, like pipelines to sequester CO2 or distribute hydrogen power. Now, pipeline proposals crisscross the Midwest. But as Eric Schmidt reports from the Ag and Water Desk, Past experiences, along with a lack of clear regulation, have left farmers and landowners resistant to more projects. On a balmy day last October, Kenny Davis walked through a recently harvested soybean field on his property in southern Illinois. He points out what looks like a railroad tie sticking out of the ground. See that right there? That's a big chunk of wood and I think it's going to be a mat. Yeah, that's a mat. Davis says it's leftover debris from years earlier, when the natural gas company Spire built a new pipeline through the middle of his property. They used wooden platforms to support the heavy machinery that installed the pipeline, and he says they left parts of it in his field. See how big a chunk that is? If that would have went through their combine, they'd have done some damage. Davis isn't the only one with damage along the 65-mile route. Further south, Ray Sinclair says the pipeline construction altered the slope of his soybean fields, causing water to pool. This green spot over here is a wet spot that we were not able to plant this spring. Is that wet? It had frogs in it. Sinclair says others have lost productivity too, with some farmers along the route saying their yields have been cut in half. The Illinois Attorney General is suing the company for the damages. Spire disputes the claims. As frustrated as Davis and Sinclair are with Spire, they say government regulators failed to hold the company accountable. The rules and all the regulations are all there, but that's just just for looks. Rules like returning the land to the way it was. The feds have said natural gas is a stopgap for the clean energy transition, but Illinois Senator Tammy Duckworth says the damage is a wake-up call. The Spire situation has proven how much We need to update pipeline rules from regulators. Somebody has to be watching and checking up on what these companies are doing. And now more pipelines are coming to carry CO2 for sequestration and hydrogen as a replacement for natural gas. Many are getting huge tax breaks from the Inflation Reduction Act. Tara Rigetti is a law professor at the University of Wyoming who focuses on carbon sequestration. There has been a collective choice to go down this path. Pretty much all of the modeling shows that carbon removal to some extent is going to be necessary. She says big emitters like ethanol facilities, chemical and power plants need pipelines to connect to places where captured CO2 can be stored. You can't pump the gas underground just anywhere. It takes a certain type of geology. The best places are along the Texas-Louisiana Gulf Coast, Midwest, and Great Plains, often not right next to large polluters. Rigetti says that means the current 5,000 miles of CO2 pipeline could grow tenfold. Really long pipeline networks that sort of spider web connecting all sorts of sources to different sinks. She says that initially means construction in mostly rural areas, but these projects have been a hard sell. 
Last year, Navigator CO2 scrapped its plan for 1,300 miles of CO2 pipeline across the Midwest, and operations of Summit Carbon Solutions' 2,000-mile network have been delayed by years after North and South Dakota rejected the company's permit requests. Jared Bosley is a fourth-generation farmer and rancher in northern South Dakota who has fought the pipelines. I mean, we're filling rooms with people, and the consensus is just no. We don't want it. Proponents say the CO2 pipeline projects would extend the life of the ethanol industry, but Bosley says it won't directly benefit farmers, and they shouldn't have to give up their land. You get absolutely nothing from this CO2 thing. Rigetti, the law professor, says that's understandable, especially for a new technology. Why should they be bearing those risks personally if they don't have any you know, individual benefit from it or use of it as well? She says communities where this infrastructure passes through should benefit from it, like getting a share of the billions of dollars these projects stand to generate. In St. Louis, I'm Eric Schmid. This story is a product of the Mississippi River Basin Ag and Water Desk and is being distributed through Harvest Public Media. In the weather for our listing area today, increasingly cloudy skies with a high in the upper 40s. Northwesterly winds around 5 miles an hour should calm in the afternoon. For tonight, cloudy skies during the early evening, then gradually clearing with a low in the upper 20s, light east winds at around 5 miles an hour. For TSPR News, I'm Mike Murray. Tri-State's Public Radio is part of the NPR Network.